Hirith calls to a Welshman even when he's closest to happiness, reminding him that he's incomplete. Lisa Klepas. Bending Not Breaking, The Dragon Pod, Reflections. Welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking and the Dragon Pod. This is your host, Ben Pruitt, and I am thrilled that we have another chance to talk about reflections today. We're diving into the deep, lost child. Oh my gosh, it's so intense. There's so much going on. There's lots and lots of angst, and I am excited that I don't have to tackle this juicy reflection alone. Joining us today... For the first time, maybe not the last, we'll see, is Ray. And Ray is also known as, and perhaps better known as in the Dragon Prince community, as Words with Dragons. And they use they, them pronouns. And so Ray likes to write books and meta and play chess and often makes too many playlists in their free time. Uh, they work as a humanities tutor for the past several years and uh, since getting their English degree and also tackle some other freelance gigs on the side. Ray, we are thrilled to have you. How are you today? Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. I've been, I've been a fan and I always love a good podcast. So it's really exciting to get to jump in, especially on such like a juicy kind of reflection. This was definitely one of my favorites. I know this whole round of reflections is just like so good. <laughs> they're so really sad in the feelings punches, aren't they? Oh man. Yeah, this one's great. Um so just so people know who you are who've never who don't spend time on any of the social medias, like what who what makes you you? What makes you a, a human being? Yeah, so I think I think the little summary kind of summed it up. I'm a very like uh, lovingly nerdy person. Uh, I've been in fandom for a really, really long time. I joined when I was like uh, a kid and now it's been like 13, 14 years of being in like fan communities. Um, and so I find that, I don't know, I'm someone where I really kind of take my time to try to find little pockets to be like, really happy to be like alive and really appreciative and mm. I feel like fandom has really helped me kind of do that you know I feel like art can be such like a sustaining force in your life for happiness and appreciation and you know understanding the world and other perspectives or you know kind of getting out of your own head and getting into somebody else's and so I find that that's why I've always really pursued like reading and writing and like those sorts of things uh, as well as being a pretty analytical person so that's why I kind of wanted to go into English and then all those skills kind of loop back into each other pretty nicely so that's it's a lot awesome. of fun. So tell me you as an English major do you have a, a favorite uh, piece of writing that you like always go back to? I don't know if I have I am I am the stereotypical English major like I really do love Shakespeare uh, okay. so I but I don't know if there's like a singular piece of writing there have definitely been pieces of writing that have like really influenced me as like a person as like a writer uh so like I grew up as like a big Percy Jackson fan oh, obviously yeah. Avatar Lester Bender 
which I oh, think yeah. was what, you know, I was so obsessed with it. I kind of just reverse taught myself literary theory in some ways because there's just oh, so cool. much in in that show. So as a small little autistic kid, I was like, oh, the framing, the parallels. All the um, yeah. And then as an, I don't know, I really love uh, three books that I read in high school that I really, really adored were uh, The Kite Runner by Khaled Husseini, uh, The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak, and The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. So those are three really good, really uh, different books, but like just so incredibly well written and they're like their prose and description. I was like the heart of it. So I would say that I, I, I think about those books and will probably think about them for the rest of my life. <laughs> Yeah. I've read two of those out of three and I loved both of them. So um, very exciting. Well, so we, we, we know a little bit about you. We know a little bit about your passions and your interests. So tell us about your passions and interests in the dragon prince. Like why the dragon prince? What is your relationship with the dragon prince? I have a very long relationship with the dragon prince. I joined the fandom before the show came out. So it was like July 2018 or something. I made a side blog. I think at first it was Crown Dragon Prince and then Rayla's Wife. And then I settled on on Raylum with two A's, which is probably the platform that people maybe know me on the most. Um, Because obviously I grew up as like a massive Avatar fan. So all I kind of needed was that Arity House is making a a new, and I love secondary world fantasy. I love high fantasy. So that was like, it's elves and it's dragons. Um, and then I've also been a really big fan of Justin Richmond's work because I uh, I have an older brother. And so he played the Uncharted series growing up. So like I'd sit in yeah. the room and watch him play. And they're really fun, like ex- exploration, like story driven games. And so I was like, these two people that I both think are really like cool and really fun storytellers are coming together to make something that already kind of seems in my interest. So I, uh, I was hoping, cause sometimes you love a show, but you're not really like inspired to like write or create for it to the same Absolutely. degree. Yeah. But I was really hoping cause my past couple of fandoms had, had kind of let me uh, down in their storytelling. And also I don't think it was intentional, but some of the way that they were treating some of their characters were like in racist or like ableist ways. And they were also my favorite characters. So that you know uh so coming into the dragon prince it was a very kind of like healing experience to me mm-hmm. in the ways that I'm like this is clearly a story where like they really care about all of their characters there's a lot of like setup and payoff like season one was like very very well structured even though there was really like so much kind of beyond the horizon uh yeah. so it's been a really fulfilling show for me and uh it's been a really fun gosh I guess almost thought over five years almost or close yeah. to now uh so you know weathered weathered the hiatus which I think really let me dive even deeper into all the characters so I, I in retrospect I was already kind of like I'm fine with the hiatus like it is what it is I'd rather take time than people overwork themselves but I, looking back I'm like I think that really let me dig deeper into the show I don't know I would have done without it so I am very like grateful for it um it's also funny because I'm very much someone where like I have some really specific tropes that I love like I love fight scenes in the rain like so much but that they don't happen that often because it's really hard to animate so I remember watching season one and being like oh so excited and then the very first fight scene is a fight scene and I was like I feel like and I clocked like I saw like the back of Rila's head I think on like the like Soul Regum poster Uh was like I feel like she's going to be the favorite like I just had like a gut feeling and she is so 
but it's so been it's lovely. been really fun, really rewarding. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. So that's uh, quite a history. And it sounds like you've spent a lot of time kind of watching and rewatching the show. Um, Probably too much time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. Believe me. Um, so now that kind of gives us a, a really nice jumping off point to, to talk about this reflection. Um, mm -hmm. But before we do, we have to kind of center ourselves in this lens that you chose. And so you've chosen a word that I'm not too familiar with. And I'd love to kind of kick it off to you and help me understand, like, what is it? But also, like, how did you come up with this? What what brought this to mind when you were reading this reflection? Yeah, I'm probably going to mispronounce it myself because it is a Welsh word. Uh, it's hereth, I believe. Um, and it's this word that I think I had come across on Tumblr like a few years ago. You know, people will share words or like concepts and stuff like that. And so this is one that I came across of that idea of like you're longing for something that especially like your home, but you're longing for something that is either like not actually ever going to be tangible for you again, if it ever truly existed at all. At all. And so I think that the Dragon Prince is a show to me. And, and this is like Avatar and the Dragon Prince are similar in, in some ways, but I find where they most kind of align is in their like what they choose to explore thematically. And so one thing that I was thinking a lot after season three aired is how obsessed Avatar and the Dragon Prince are with like this theme of like exile. So like the humans are obviously like they're exiled. And then you have kind of like, you know, Erebos, his banishment kind of reminded me of like ghosting and I was like Viren cannot go back to Catalas even if he wanted to like post or pre-resurrection uh but I was really interested in the idea that like everybody else kind of gets to go home more like more or less like you know Sor and Calvin and they all get to kind of go home not to what they remember so there's that like loss there but yeah. there's still some form of like they get to go home and I was really interested at first in how Rayla and Claudia like Claudia is very much more of an antagonistic character Rayla is very much more of a protagonist but they're both not allowed to go home at the end of season three like Claudia loses and that's what she loses and Rayla wins but she doesn't get everything back and so I was really interested in that kind of sort of I guess like interplay yeah. of not being able to go home and what that looks like physically and what that kind of looks for like emotionally. So I was really excited when this story was so much kind of about Claudia being a lost child in, in yeah. just about every way. So I thought that it would be a good, a good lens and a little bit sadder than just longing for something. Yeah. You know? and, and, I, and I think it's, it's putting its finger on a little bit more specificity, right? Cause it's not just mm -hmm. long as you're saying it is, longing for and I, I read a few definitions in preparation for this it's longing mm -hmm. for just this idea of home but longing for what is no longer attainable yeah and like and I and I think that is a really tough because it's 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 this yearning mixed with grief is, mm -hmm. is like the, if I were to like what two words am I combining in order to get this right is it feels like longing and grief that like this dissonance that I will never get it. And yet I want it anyway and I miss it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm excited to kind of touch on all of the, the ways that this kind of brings that up 
for for you and for me. Um, so let's let's do it. Let's dive in. Like, what is a what is a moment in this reflection that uh, brought this up for you? Um, one of the ones that really stood out to me. I do have the story open, so I'll probably be I'll probably be scrolling a little bit. Uh, but the part I can't remember this one made me cry, but I feel like it probably did. Uh, but I think one of the moments that got to me is when Claudia is at the river and she's kind of reflecting on the fact that like how that she's been abandoned you know I always say that her and Callum's abandonment issues are like holding hands because uh they're very much people who are who are struggling with that um and so when she says like everybody's left me too like dad and Soren and and she can't finish and actually say the word mom and this is, I think, the first time we've ever seen Lissa in any, like, official sort of capacity. Uh, and she's really a character in a lot of ways thus far who has only kind of existed in show to Claudia. Like, she's the only character we've seen, you know, talk about her and talk about what that means. And it's very clearly something that is a deep wound for her. Um, and really in, informed the way that she thinks of the world. And so I think it's it was interesting to me because, like, you know, you're always kind of thinking about the characters in contrast. So, like, when she's talking with Ezra at the end of season two, like, about her mother, she doesn't she ho- seems to hold a lot of pain, but she doesn't seem to hold a lot of anger and resentment about it. She's kind of like, oh, I think she needed to leave to be happy for herself somehow. Like, she kind of has that more understanding side, which I thought was, like, really refreshing, but also really interesting because it clearly does hurt her so much. And yeah. so I thought it was interesting then coming here where I don't know whether it's because of like what she's been through now or kind of like where she is in in, in her life and like also losing Soren, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I thought it was interesting how much more like bitter and angry about it Claudia seemed to be. Yeah. And she's a character where like, she's really interesting because like, she's like five different cognitive dissonances stacked in a trench coat. (laughs) And one of the things that's always really interesting to me is her, her hatred of having to make choices. I mean, like, Oh, I can choose to be passive. I can choose an action and not recognizing that that's also a choice specifically because she's like, you know, she's like, don't make me choose Soren, like not again. And it's like, you didn't choose the first time your mom told you what to do. Yep. But like, that's, but even though that's what like happened in reality, that's not emotionally how it feels. So I always really like exploring those gaps with, with Claudia as a character. And I thought this story showcased all of that yeah. so incredibly well. I I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm thinking about this and the thing that bubbles up for me is the conversation over the past several years culturally in the United States specifically around returning to normal and this idea that we can return to what how it used to be because that was better and um one better for who like there's a lot of questions around that like was it actually better or is this just your rosy colored glasses and yeah. I, I'm wondering how much of that is coming into play here of Claudia. I want to go back to when everything mm-hmm. was easy 
And, you know, like this idea of returning to her past, returning to when she had her mom with her feels like a similar thought process to, I just want to return to normal. I just want it to be here. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like a, it's a lament, right? It, and so like, I, I just want it to not be this hard is another way. Yeah. Of it, right. And I, I think that this longing for what we can no longer have or longing for what we cannot have mm-hmm. is in tandem with this feeling of our lives that we used to hold on to that that sustained us as those were the good times yeah and I'm I'm really getting a sense of that and so I, I'm I'm hoping that as we continue we'll learn what are the tools that that work and what are the tools that make things <laughs> worse um because I think we see both in in this in this story it's Mm -hmm. it's so intense and I and I think I appreciate your your comment about Lissa too how she is a character that is limited to Claudia's experience Mm -hmm. because you like it would it's it would be very odd that Lissa is not a part of you know Viren's like thought process and yet we don't get it from that perspective or Soren's and yet we don't get it from that perspective we get it from mm-hmm. Claudia's and I, I think what it shows us is that she is longing for her in a way that is different than yeah anyone else yeah, one line that that really stood out to me, and again, like ping to my Rayla Claudia as as foils brain as parallels, uh, but even just kind of how um, I feel like for Claudia, part of her longing for her mother is, and even just you know, like even if she could go back, would you be able to exist in that past without holding? anger knowing what the future will be right like even if you could go you know so again like there's no dragon prince is really good at talking about how like a lot of times especially with traumatic experiences like there is no going back like you just have to be somebody new whatever that means and however difficult that is and i think for claudia in particular when she wants to go back with her mom it's that i feel like she thinks i'm probably supposed like when you're a child ideally like you do have less responsibility right? Yeah. So she says, um, it's up to me again. She thought it's always up to me. And yeah. I think we can kind of see that even in season one of like, w- one thing that I noticed was like, Claudia doesn't actually talk about her own like negative feelings very much, like almost at all in the show. And I didn't notice at first. And then I was kind of thinking about like, yeah, the only person we've really seen her like personally open up to is Ezrin in that scene like she never really leans on Soren she's usually like a listening ear to Vera and then she's trying to she's very much like the fixer in her family and I think that's a role that she probably really took on once Lissa left especially because like you know she knows that her dad maybe she doesn't know her dad did something terrible but she knows her dad like fixed the problem right so that very much informs her view of dark magic to her it's not even that it's morally wrong and she's cool with it. She just doesn't see anything wrong with it. So it's almost like that ignorance is is bliss type quality to it. 
and then for Soren, like she very much is the one like taking care of Soren. She being a dark mage means like you have to be prepared with the right ingredients. Like you have to be resourceful. You have to already have what you need. And so I think Claudia, like her perfectionist tendencies, like her level of preparedness is for her to feel like she can fix whatever happens. And yeah. I think even for her, we see here a really great kind of, you know, I remember when season four came out, people were like, why did Claudia make Viren go up the mountain? That seems <laughs> weird. And yeah. I'm like, well, it's because she's steamrolling over his emotional experience. She she thinks I physically fixed it. So yeah, that she's not she's not conceptualizing the emotional trauma. And I think that's what she does with Soren in season two as well. Yes. So it felt really in character to me. I and agree. we see that. And we see that kind of here, right? It's like, well, she she physically makes herself look and feel better. So everything's fine, right? And it, like, that's not how it works. But Yeah, no, I have a, like, I, I wrote that down as as something that is a really interesting frame for, for longing for something that is no longer attainable. And I, I say that in quotes now, um, even to metaphor, take the metaphor of home, right? Of, mm-hmm. um, what we look like versus what we want to look like or what look what um not even just like not even just the want but what we want to present to the world even Mm -hmm. right what we want to be perceived as and even to perceive ourselves and I, i i'm thinking about like the difference between i think i've made this comparison before but the idea of makeup as a parallel or analogy to dark magic. Um, yeah. Right. And thinking, and I, I've, I've, I am a male and I don't regularly use makeup um, to, to state my internal or perhaps external biases that might be coming into play here. But mm-hmm. I, I think that using makeup as a way to, this is who I want to be in the world. And I'm going to use my resources, my time, my energy, my, my money to craft Mm -hmm. how I want to present to the world. And that's, it's similar to what Claudia is doing, right. Of creating this image that I am longing to be. I want to be Mm -hmm. more like this image that I'm bringing and putting into the world and yeah. I'm curious, like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Does that, is that like a, a totally left field weird thing or is, how, yeah. how does that I mean, I, I, I grew up AFAB. I've been out as non-binary for like two and a half years now, which is crazy because it still times it still feels like yesterday. And growing up as a kid, I, I was never into makeup and I never really did. I think I wore makeup maybe three times in my life. Yeah. Um, and so but I definitely can see elements of that in terms of the idea of like gender performance mm-hmm. and even just, um, you know, the kind of like masks that we wear yep. and kind of, I think, I think it's also very true because Claudia is very much someone where like, she really cares how she's perceived and how her actions are perceived. Like, uh, I think she's very much someone who is still attached to the idea that like, she's a good person. So like, you know, going to steal things from the dragon, from the storm spire is like, oh, and the dragon's like, oh, it's a sign that we're on this like righteous and like good path. And like, yeah. you know, Erebos and Terry are like the exceptions to her 
elf rule, right? Which I think is interesting here that she's like, oh, it's all on me. And like Terry's right over there, like yep. helping her, but she can't, she can't see it. Like she's very similar. Her and Viren are very much like they just they don't see clearly. And so I feel like um for Claudia it's kind of like she cares how she's perceived she wants to be perceived as strong and put together and you know I think that that's why she clings so hard to this idea that she's a good person like I'm always struck I'm always going to be going back to the real parallels but I think I'm always struck as how like when she comes home in season three she's also punished and she gets thrown in the dungeon, but she's like yeah. gonna be given a chance to explain, and like she doesn't actually end end up being punished. And she mandates like the whole way through that like we we didn't do anything wrong, like we're fine, like we're not guilty, you know. Meanwhile, like Rayla comes home like the episode like after or something, and is like brutally punished with with no explanation. And she gets indignant at first, like how could you do this to me? And then immediately slides into like, oh, well, they're right. And I am this awful and I do yeah. deserve this. So I'm always, you know, I feel like because, you know, the Claudia, somewhere, yeah, she, I think she just cares how she's perceived. She has this like smug kind of streak to her, which isn't like a bad thing. It's actually kind of refreshing, like a female character. But she's very much someone, you know, where she's like, oh, dad, like if you need anything else when we're out on our mission, like just let me know. Like she's very yeah. confident. And I feel like it's interesting that um, like her confidence is clearly rattled at this point in the story, like by the time yeah. we get to this reflection. But she's still maintaining that I can do whatever it is that I need to do. And it, I think it's that very much like when you're a kid, you have a lot of like optimism of like um there's this uh, comedian Taylor Tomlinson who has this one bit that I really enjoy where she's like, you know, when you're a kid and you give yourself a pep talk in the mirror, you're like, I'm great. I'm the best. And then when you're an adult, you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, you're going to do this because what other choice do you have? And I feel like that's very much like Claudia, where um, it's kind of like, what other option does she really feel like she has? Like, what other choice does she have? Right. And she's not she doesn't want to have any other choices and she doesn't want to make a choice. It's like, this is her one path. Yeah. I think the the thing that comes up for me, and again, I, I won't linger too long on this, <laughs> but this idea, like I truly believe that um, using makeup can be an incredibly empowering and important experience. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that it can be a tactic to avoid yes. uh, what we are, what we would be better off not avoiding. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think this is true for Viren too, right? Like it's mm -hmm. especially like we talked, I think we did talk about this that was the episode we talked about. This was we talked about with Jason Simpson uh, was a guest, and we the lens was beauty, and I forget what season that mm -hmm. was, but we were talking about this, and it was one of those things where I don't want to place judgment on makeup itself, nor dark magic itself, but mm -hmm. rather how and why it's being used, and how yeah. we are to use it for things for our own personal gain that mm -hmm. are um, potentially morally compromising. Um, and so I, I just, 
I perhaps what that is telling me in terms of this lens is that the the longing for the unattainable can without discernment lead to making choices Mm -hmm. that are sketch um yes yeah I feel like (laughs) yeah one of the things that I see sometimes in the fandom and like this story is also very much about dark magic and like one of the reasons it's my favorite is like I have I have a very strong affinity for Sir Sprocklepuff and it's purely uh-huh. because my my favorite character in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I ha- I tried to read it and I couldn't get into it. So one day eventually, but I have seen the movies, is is Gollum. And so the fact that Sir Sprocklepuff is like, <laughs> I know. Uh, and so um, I actually, I, I wrote a one shot about Sir Sprocklepuff and I made everyone cry. So I felt really good about it. Because <laughs> um, he is a little existential like horror story, just walking around yeah. in like a, a toddler's body. Um, and so, but for Claudia, I always feel like dark, I feel like sometimes people can get caught up really heavily on like the logistics of like, well, you know, dark magic could be used for this. And what if we, you know, grow a a specific set of plants to be used for harvesting or like, you know, we only take items with consent and like, you know, you can kind of jump through all those hoops if you want to, like, that's its own meritable form of like world building and like whatever, but I think it kind of ignores like the thematic purpose of dark magic is just to explore kind of like what people are willing to do to feel, to feel in control, to fix problems. Right. In terms of like, just kind of that exploration of like power and corruption and how like dark magic isn't necessarily inherently bad, even though it's transactional, because like a lot of things are transactional, but it is a slippery slope and Claudia sees it as a mountain to climb because of how it encourages you to dehumanize other people, to see them as subhuman because it's like a sliding scale free for all of like what and who are your spell parts. And it's basically whatever you're able to convince yourself should be spell parts. And we talked about this this as well. Um, the idea of, I think, especially in this world, um, mm-hmm. it's important to differentiate between human and yeah. person. Yes. Right? And, you know, dragons are sentient beings, right? They yeah. are fully alive, conscious, able to the make culture and languages. Yeah. They have, they have a full rational world. Elves full rational world um mm-hmm. you know and even these other beings like these rock golems have yeah which the magmatite and looks even right? and so the question around um dehumanization is really interesting because frankly what this this show is calling us to do to is to look even further into mm-hmm. not just it's not just dehumanization, right? It's the depersonalizing, depersonalization, um, and and removing the the fact because because I think when we when we say dehumanization, what it does is it places humans above everything else. Yeah, and I think in this world especially that is untrue. I think that is mm-hmm. also true in reality where we are. But it's one of those things where it's a lot easier to argue in in Zadia in this world mm-hmm. with 
with all of these fantastic beasts and peoples and groups of yeah. beasts. And I, I think that, um, yeah, and what that does, I think, is creates way more complex asking from mm. the audience in order to perceive that, right? Because I think, you know, yeah. any not any child, but like many children will watch the show and be like, they're, they're, they're a person, they're real, they're, they're, and yeah. adults are like, yeah, but they're subhuman and very much are on Viren's side because like Viren mm-hmm. is all about human supremacy. Yeah. And so is Claudia, frankly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, there is that camp, but then there's the camp of no, we're all people, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is what we're being called to think about when we watch this show as well, is how do we attribute personhood to yeah than just humanity? Yeah, I think that's why I was really intrigued, like, you know, uh, the, the kind of, uh, I'm going to get on my, can we swear on here? Sure. Okay, I'm going to get back on my Sir Sparklepuff bullshit. Uh, because <laughs> one of the one of the uh, reasons I wrote this like one shot basically was because I was really intrigued by the idea of him having a more like kind of like sympathetic role role to play, which is why I was really excited when this story came out. And I was like, oh my god, like they're bonding. Yes, because it's this idea, right? Of you know, he is non-human in terms of like you know he's a little grown like butterfly man and he is like mute which sometimes can unfortunately historically like impact how much we view someone as a person right yeah. uh, so I always think about that when I'm thinking about like the dragons versus the arch dragons of like well just because not all the dragons talk doesn't mean they're less like sapient than the dragons that can talk right so I find that that can be an interesting division in in, in fandom uh, and so I thought it was noteworthy that the story was then purposefully kind of making Sparklepuff and Claudia like mirrors of each other um because obviously Sparklepuff is very much like a guide and very much like a tool for Erebos but he clearly does have his own personality and his own little like quirks like he genuinely wants to be helpful and like wants to help them and I thought it was interesting for Claudia to see some of her own kind of experiences reflected back in him. Like when he crushes the the snail at first, she realizes like, oh, like that's, that's useful. But it also is something where she's slightly almost like repulsed by it. And it kind of shows that like, you know, this thing's more, not this thing, but this little guy's morality is like whatever you teach him it is. And I don't know if I'd want Claudia as my morality teacher. I, no, uh, I don't think I would. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it was it was it, it was interesting. Even just like um, you know, I, I think one of my favorite things that I studied when I was getting my degree was like Gothic literature, and mm-hmm. so the Gothic is very much interested in like the house and the body as like sites of of trauma of the home being this like desecrated space where it might seem really nice but there's always kind of stuff like lurking uh, underneath and dark magic kind of makes me think of uh the way that it can turn the body into this site of trauma because you literally hold the corruption and the weight of what you're doing like in in your body yeah i agree wholeheartedly this is on point Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm going to step into your uh, sparkle puff zone. Um, yes. And I, so one of the things that I find interesting about, you know, sparkle puff is mm -hmm. just tracking the, in this reflection alone, right? The, mm -hmm. We're acting almost childlike in terms of like development. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I'm seeing and you kind of are pointing us to is this idea of mimicry. Of yes. like mimicking Claudia and doing what Claudia does. And that is a common learning tool for infants, for young children who mm -hmm. are um, learning to exist and define who they are. And yeah. mimicry is really interesting because our we have mirror neurons in our brains that when we see someone do something, um, our brains sometimes like the mirror neurons will fire and it will almost be as if we were doing it ourselves. And mm -hmm. so memory is a form of like, I'm going to do this and it creates self. The awareness of self is what mimicry does for young, young yeah. children. And um, so I find that particularly interesting. And, and as I frame that in terms of this lens, this hirith, or is I hope how we're pronouncing yes, it. Yes, yeah. Uh, the is Sparklebuff does clearly does understands what's going mm -hmm. on some some elements of what's going on, but yeah. the communication barrier is getting in the way, and I, I I'm wondering about why Claudia has no patience for that. And what's really interesting for me is, you know, clearly Sparklepuff knows things because it was drawing mm -hmm. uh, uh, Umber Tor, was drawing, yeah. uh, like knows enough to be able to be like, I know what I'm talking about. But there's a communication barrier that Viren figured out that could mm -hmm. see. But Claudia, even realizing that this homunculus in her eyes yeah. is uh not like doesn't have the the personhood that she would ascribe someone else yeah and that is kind of limiting her capacity to believe it could communicate something helpful um yeah. i do perspective but yeah, yeah please yeah i do think it's interesting because to me the story was also like um on that note of like them being like mirrors of each other, which is obviously like already like really loaded in, in, in show is that, you know, it's kind of like Claudia is someone who doesn't realize that she's replicating the cycle. So like, for me, it's very much like Viren, Claudia, Terry, just her sparkle puff. Like it's all kind of like the same line in mm -hmm. regards to like, you know, Claudia learns dark magic, from her father right even like the parallels between like when Soren kills Viren and drops to his knees and is like I had to and is clearly like very traumatized by it um as one of the other reflections kind of goes into in a great way and then you have the parallels of Terry also murdering Ibis and it's like it's framed very similarly like shot for shot and kind of uh, certain things and then obviously he drops to his knees and he breaks down crying it's like I had to right and it's like Claudia not realizing that like if she keeps going on this path like this will keep happening to the people she loves like she will keep 
pushing people into this cycle of like the wheel that that she's turning and like Sir Sparklepuff is almost like this like quasi like next generation sort of in a way where it's like you know he'll do what she shows him to do and it's again it kind of also made me think I love Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and so it made me think a lot of of, of Frankenstein right of like when you bring life into the into the world you know and this goes for Claudia as Viren and Lissa's daughter right it's kind of like you know her her dad is MIA right now her mother has literally been gone for a long time and she has this like not quite parental role but like a mentorship kind of authoritative role for Sir Sparklepuff and like she loves it, you know, like she's not, she's not even conceptualizing that like this could be a responsibility that she has because she has so many other responsibilities already self-imposed and literally on her metaphorical plate. Um, but I thought that was, you know, even her replicating like Viren's butterfly yeah. thing now, right? But, you know, I think, um, it's it's interesting in this season two novelization, which is somewhere on my bookshelf, uh, when Viren does his rejuvenation ceremony ceremony, he does think of Lissa while he while he does it. Um, and I thought it was interesting that Claudia also thinks of Lissa while she does it, but where Viren has this like twinge of like he doesn't love what he is, Claudia is not even there yet. Like, or if anything, she could have a, a teeny smidge maybe of self-loathing about it but there's there's nothing there yet so yeah it's a fascinating comparison for sure amazing so I want to uh, briefly touch on something from the very beginning um Mm -hmm. that uh I think you kind of alluded to already but I she talked about Callum and Ezrin and their elf uh, as her enemies and um thinking about again using this framework of of Hirith of of what longing for what was or what will never be again or home Mm -hmm. or and these people not Rayla but used to be her home right they used to be Mm -hmm. a part literally a part of her home and it's interesting to to think about how our quote enemies now mm-hmm. versus what they used to be to us and it, I, like in a way it's almost a similar longing to the experience she has with Viren as well in the sense yeah. that I'm longing for who Viren used to be to me I'm longing for who these people used to be to me and it's no longer attainable that's for sure because people yeah. change but it's also one mm-hmm. of those things where like she's longing for a version of these people that make her feel more comfortable. She's longing for a version of these people that uh, are not allowing them to be the expansive self that they could be. And it just Mm -hmm. like, I'm, I hate to be so critical of Claudia, but like I am. (laughs) And (laughs) this is one of those moments where I'm like, girl, you can't have it both ways. And it's just really fascinating to me to think about. And so that was a moment that really struck me in terms of this lens that I was like, oh, that's pretty intense. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Does that resonate with you? 
Yes, definitely. I, I thank you for bringing that up. I love that. We're going to get to circle back because there were two things that I kind of noticed. The first was that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Calvin and Ezrin in particular haven't really done anything to her at this point. Like they haven't attacked her, but she knows that they're obstacles to her goals that so they get and it's been like two years, so they get like they get like shafted into it. Uh, and then obviously Rayla has never been a person to her and it will be a very ro- long road before per- Rayla will ever be a person to her. So that's not surprising, uh, even if it is disturbing, because I'm like, you're dating an elf, Claudia, come on. But I think, again, yeah. five cognitive dissonances in the trench coat. Um, but I did think it was interesting that Sorn isn't listed. So Soren is still set apart. He's not an enemy, even though yeah. he's on their side. There's still that brother-sister connection, of course, right? Um, and I'm someone where, like, I'm very critical of, of Claudia because I'm, like, I remember, because I've been in the fan for so long, I remember, like, coming out of season one, people were, like, she's the goofy goth girl, and she yeah. just needs to, you know, and she, she is, but I was like, I remember even like within the first three episodes, I was like, there's something skewed here. Like the fact that she's the one who thinks of the switching spell and the fact that she doesn't understand Harrow's discomfort, whereas Viren at least can, even if he doesn't think that it's like the most important thing, Claudia just again, doesn't even have that, that space to understand why that would be an issue for somebody because she's so solution goal this thing is possible why shouldn't we do it like she's very knowledge for knowledge's sake I think which is really interesting and also is like kind of I think I think longing is something that is really intrinsic to her because I think dark magic is that of I want more than I have and I'm going to attain it by any means necessary and I think I think a lot about for her, but I also have like a lot of sympathy for her. Yeah, it's a very it's a very pragmatic mm-hmm. uh, approach to this of like it can accomplish this for me, therefore why shouldn't I do it? Um, yeah. And it, it's just it is pragmatic in the sense that it, it takes zero account for what the repercussions are. Yeah. Um, and, and like, and like, that's really tough, right? That's really hard when there are, there's no accounting for consequence, right? The yeah. only consequence is that I'm tired or like, and, and so what is lost? Yeah. And she doesn't even clearly like care enough, right? Like she yeah. doesn't care. Yeah. She destroys herself either. So it's kind of like, I, I think a lot about her early on in the series is like, being a character who's very stagnated and is also kind of the character in the first three episodes who was dealt like the least amount of life altering news because like the uh, you know the other three are like discovering the egg or Soren is you know trying to protect the king like everybody in like Viren obviously is having his own little journey right especially in the first three episodes and Claude is just kind of going about her life you know like confident like oh Callum will always like me and Ezrin will always be a friend and I'll always have my brother and my dad like that's not changing because she won't let it change and like she knew about the egg and she lies to the king about it and she never seems to have kind of any like qualms about it because she's so confident that her dad is right like what other possibilities are there right uh and then but I also think a lot about like her kind of and I think that's where 
I was writing an analysis on this like last week, actually. So it's kind of funny, but I think that's where a lot of her, her particular animosity towards Rayla comes from is my life was not perfect. Or maybe she's romanticizing it of like, everything was fun. Everything was good. Everything was like exactly the way that it should be. And then this elf came in and the boys find the egg and I lose the egg, right? My dad was like, this is the most important thing. And then she spends the rest of the show having to try to like make up for, for losing this thing, right? Um, and like, that's kind of the moment that her life started to fall to pieces. Yeah. Uh, you know, like realize consistently the person who is kind of like, you know, everything with the dragon in the rain would have been fine, but Rayla showed up to save it. And then it snowballs oh. from there, right? So I think- you know, if Claudia can't be wrong, because being wrong, like, it, it's a really hard pill to swallow that you might be wrong, right? Especially when she has sacrificed so much, right, to realize that everything you did was for the wrong reasons, that what it wasn't worth it. Like, that is is, is rough, right? And so I feel like for her, it's kind of like, if she can't be wrong, like, if she literally cannot be wrong, because that would just break her right and someone has to be wrong and the easiest person to blame isn't a person at all because it's an elf and i think yeah like yeah the thing that comes up for me is if we're really leaning into this lens um it seems like claudia's definition um parameters for home are so narrow and limited that it is and it is not subject to change and Mm. i think that when you are longing for something so specific and narrow and and your home is Mm. so much hinging upon one element of of something that it boxes you in to decisions about how you will achieve that thing again. And I think what we, what we see from Callum and Ezrin is they're able to make the paradigm shift of if egg here, elf, not bad, right. (laughs) Then Claudia is not able to make that shift. Mm -hmm. And despite the evidence that has been given to her yeah uh, like they hear the her, exact right they hear the exact same information like the, claudia is there like throughout almost the entire conversation they have yeah. about the egg and yeah. it like nothing so well and i think that's just it's so indicative of like just because here if in and of itself is neither good nor bad however what it does tell us is that when you're longing for something and taking every means you can to get it, that one would hope, I think, that your definition of home can be expansive. Um, And so that's, that's really interesting. And it's just, speaking of Terry, this is my last thing that I would, I'd love to kind of bring up with you, which is Terry Um, and the song, right. In this, in this Mm -hmm. piece. Um, it feels like Terry's song is a mindfulness practice, right? It's um, not quite spot on the theme, but it is a reminder of 
hey, this is what grounds you. This is what, um, like it just, the description of getting into the dirt and all of that really kind of feels like a chance to reset and be present and reconsider um, what home is, which is the ground beneath your feet. And um, it, I don't know, it, it felt like a way to cultivate a different kind of longing than one that is causing harm, if that makes sense. I am longing for something that I cannot have. And this song is like, well, we have the dirt beneath our feet and the snails and and the, you know, it, it feels like a mindfulness practice that might get us out of, of that in a way. And I'm curious if, what is that? How does that sound or feel? Is that wonky for you? Yeah, I feel like Harith and that longing for home is something that Terry song specifically the line of know your roots and know yourself. Yeah. And I feel like Claudia's longing for going back and as much as she can to like whether that's when her mom was here or whether before Rayla showed up or like whatever that or even just when she was with Soren, like whatever that looks like, right? me would mean sacrificing what she has with Terry, which is clearly again still very meaningful and, and genuine for her, right? So it's kind of like you're 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 losing things, but you're also gaining things. And if you're if you're so focused on one particular path, right, you can lose sight of everything else that you have yeah. in front of you, right? Like she thinks I have to do this on my own, ignoring that Terry is there to help her. And I think it also shows that like Viren's deep longing in his mind to have humans return to their rightful home to return to Zadia right is very much what has cost Claudia everything else in her life in 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 a lot of ways and I think it comes back to the idea of like even if you could go back even if humans could return to Zadia in in the manner that Viren wants like but that actually fix what you think it's going to fix right and I find that Terry's idea of, you know, get the mud beneath your fingernails, I thought was interesting because like a a paragraph or so later, uh, Claudia washes her face and she says, it was good to feel clean again, which is the opposite of having mud underneath your fingertails and so, or not fingertails, fingernails. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think it uh, is an interesting juxtaposition again, between like, what are you willing to acknowledge to, to know yourself? to know where you're coming from to help then orient like where do you actually want to go like I I never I feel like I get the sense that like on a certain level yes this is what Claudia wants but it's also not what she wants because it's so emotionally distressing because but again like she feels like she doesn't have any other choice and if you don't have a choice how much agency how much does desire really actually matter if it's not entirely voluntary um and so I feel like, again, that comes to the idea of Claudia, you know, thinking about her roots, but kind of refusing to actually know herself, yeah. to have a full perception of herself. Yeah. So. I mean, the other option, and I think it's specific to Terry as an earth blood elf, right? But mm-hmm. I think that the other way of perhaps looking at it is not necessarily a juxtaposition, but that what if the the water and the earth are uh more similar than they are different in the in that they are both like elemental uh physical elements that 
one can use to become grounded. Um, and more metaphorically speaking than literally in, in Terry's case, but, um, but you know, the, the water on our skin is a refresh just as Mm -hmm. the dirt beneath Terry's fingernails is a refresh. And, um, I don't know, there's, there's a, an interesting thing that she like feels better and refreshed just as Terry does in that moment. And yeah, those things are, are different, but also there's a lot of similarity there that I'm, I'm seeing too, in terms of using these physical elements to bring us back to ourselves in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Woo. Oh man, we've gotten, we went through, we took a, a full several turns around in this. This is great. Yeah. Uh, and there's like so much more we could talk about. <laughs> um, alas, I, I would love to uh, take us to our final segment, which is gratitude. Um, and gratitude's my favorite. So uh, in this segment, for, for those of us who might be listening for the first time, this is where we pick a character from our conversation that we are thankful for and uh, tell everybody why. So Ray, I'll pass it to you. Like who is a character that you're thankful for and why? I guess I'll, I'll, I'll cheat a little bit because he is technically mentioned in the story, even if it's just for one line. I'll say that I'm really thankful for Calo. Mm. So yeah, he is someone where I think he has a lot of similarities, I think, to to Claudia and to Viren in terms of, you know, his his obsessive personality, his deep yep. love of magic, his deep love for like his family and his and his friends and his willingness to to protect them. And I feel like Callum is someone where um he also has an element of here because I don't know I guess like you know you lose your mom young you never yep. totally feel at place in the castle and then you go on this insane journey where you become kind of like an entirely new person in a lot of ways and then the person who really helped you on that journey is also gone and I think it's really but he still manages to be caring and kind and he like he knows when to get over himself a little bit um and he's just such an emotionally strong person and I think that he has the self-awareness that Claudia kind of desperately needs so I feel like I have you know he's not because some of Ezrin's gentleness is just like optimism and faith and we need that and some of it's being naive and I feel like Callum is always this very good like middle ground of like he sees the world for what it is but he can also see what it could be and he's good pretty good at reconciling the two um so I think he does a really good job at doing his best to make a home wherever he is as nurturing as he is and um I'm always grateful for for my boy so I'm gonna say Callum I love that oh I'm so grateful wow um so I am going to pick a potentially spicy option um, and I'm going to be grateful for Lissa um, and spicy because I am grateful that she left. 
um yeah and, yeah I don't think it would have been better yeah like not for Claudia or for Soren or for Viren but probably for her that was the choice that was best and mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to you know uh, ascribe you know my biases or things along those who knows why she left we don't know um I can make deductions <laughs> yeah yeah I think that uh, it is incredibly difficult for people, not all people, but for some people to make a choice to leave your children and your family and the comfort of that home that they had likely and to choose you. And um, as much as it hurt Claudia I am glad that Lissa was able to make that choice. And I am assuming that she made the best decision she could with the information she had at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People, people, de- I'm somewhere like, I don't want kids, but yeah. uh, some of my, like, I actually be recently became an aunt. So that's very exciting. Um, but like so often we, we let absentee fathers off the hook and we like demonize mothers for doing anything for themselves. So like I'm like Lissa, I will defend you on principle just for that. Yeah. I'm like you know, being a lackluster mother is not the worst thing a person can be. And I do think yeah. we do know she loved her kids. She like if they had both said yeah, we want to come with you, she would have taken both of them. Right. So I think, you know, you can you can question the logistics of putting agency in children's hands. But I also think it's good to respect their wit. Like, I don't think there was a better option than what they did. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just doesn't work out the way that you want it to. People are complicated. Yes. Um, and I certainly do wish for Claudia that she had gotten to spend more time with her mother. And this is this is the world and it sucks. And I don't blame her in the slightest. So yeah. here we are. So that kind of brings us to the end, which means we have a chance to uh, offer our listeners a chance to find you if you want to be found. Uh, if so, what are the ways you'd want anyone listening to be able to find you? Yeah, uh, I'll also do a little bit of a, of a self plug. So I have my own kind of podcast under Rosa Dragons. Uh, no spaces, no hyphens. And it is mostly Dragon Prince focused, but I do also talk about like writing and queer stuff and some other cartoon shows once in a while. So if that is your thing, check it out. It's Woo. it's kind of like this, but it's just me. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then on Twitter, I'm Words W Dragons. On Tumblr, uh, I'm Raylum with two A's for the Dragon Prince people. Um, and yeah, if you like meta analysis, uh. I'm working on a fantasy series that's kind of inspired by Avatar, where it's like, what if there was more than one Avatar running around? And what if they weren't all good people? Like, how do you know they're always going to be a good person? Um, yeah, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, so if any of those things sound intriguing, whatever social media platform suits you best, I suppose. Amazing. Awesome. And for everyone else uh, that is still looking for more, you can find us at BNB underscore pod if you haven't already on all of the socials. Uh, we would especially like you to find us on Patreon at BNB underscore pod. We do monthly live episodes with our patrons 
Uh, right now, our next month, we're going to be talking about Appa's Lost Days, which is kind of like, oh my God, <laughs> that's a big episode. So if you want to really uh it's not too late. It's uh, happening soon, but we will love to have you. Um, and uh, that's it. That's a wrap, folks. Ray, thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, this has been a really great episode and uh, we will hopefully cross paths again, cross paths again <laughs> forward. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. This is a lot uh, of fun. My pleasure. All right, everyone, until next time, be well and do good. <laughs> <laughs>